Welcome to 26.1 AI Podcasts. As we continue our international tour, we have a guest from Uruguay, Ernesto Rodriguez de Paula, one of the founders of Trial Labs and Monkey Learn. Welcome, Ernesto. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. It's uh, been a while since I last saw you. I think it was maybe uh, 2015 in San Francisco when you blew away the audience with your uh, slides with monkeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was, yeah, five years ago. Uh, first of all, that, that was super fun. Um, and I, actually, it was my first time uh, in, in the U.S., uh, and I was visiting San Francisco to pitch Monkey Learn, uh, particularly in, in in this event, which was kind of a, I guess, a contest for uh, you know winning tickets for the PyCon conference, right, in in Montreal. And uh, and yeah, with my my co-founders, we decided I should go there and and try. Uh, I you know arranged other meetings with clients uh, back back then, but. Uh, but yeah, that the the presentation was super fun. I remember uh, it was mostly you know uh, photos of monkeys and uh, features of the product that we were building, uh, and, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, you beat out, I believe, a Y Combinator company, and the judge <laughs> panel included a Y Combinator partner, Kat Manilak, as well as other really formidable founders. So good job on that one and i imagine you've learned a lot over the past five years on what it takes to build a startup in the ml and ai space maybe you could share some of that yeah yeah for sure i mean um as you know we i, I co-founded two companies one it's trial labs uh, that has been around for 10 years and what we do is mostly um Consulting, specialized in AI uh, for for big companies, and then my my other company is MonkeyLearn, uh, which is a SaaS product for building natural language processing models, right? And um, and yeah, I think the the two companies are are very different. Uh, you know, MonkeyLearn it's uh, a startup in in the sense of in the you know how you imagine a Silicon Valley startup, right? In terms of, you know, we uh, went there with a plan. We, uh, you know, were able to to raise seed capital. And we are, you know, in, in this kind of race uh, for growth and, and for, you know, creating very big impact and thinking a lot about the, the investors, right? And, and when, what we can do to make their, their investment work. Uh, and Trilabs is, is totally different. It's a bootstrapped company from day one. Um, it has been, you know, the co-founders working uh, at the beginning, just the three of us. Then, you know, once we got some clients, we started growing, but at our own pace, let's say. It's more of a kind of a lifestyle business, if you will. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the, there are... Co- kind of like the two extremes, I will say. And it's really, Monkey Learn is really software as a service, right? So now the models that right. go on there, the natural language processing models, 
Can you give an idea? Can you give us an idea what what they do? What what value do they provide to? Why would someone right. want a model hosted there? Right. So so basically, you you can create models with your own data that uh, are able to do um you know text processing tasks that uh, you will. Uh, that, that you need for uh, something specific in your products, right? At, at the beginning, maybe five year, years ago, when uh, we were presenting the, the product, uh, MonkeyLearn was more uh, focused on, uh, on developers, right? Uh, maybe developers that were not experts in AI, but wanted to use these models. Um, right now, kind of our focus is shifting towards, uh, you know, people in, marketing or in customer acquisition uh, so we are trying to to make the product more uh, easy to integrate with different tools right so right now the the power of monkey learning is more on you know how you can integrate with the data you are using in different tools to uh, really use these natural language models to to create new value from from that data and have you gone down the, you know, Bert and Elmo and all those other the kind of transfer learning paths that seem to be really making real improvements over the uh, ability to right. do word prediction yet? Right. So in in MonkeyLearn we are uh, always experimenting things. The same this uh, the same happens in, in trial labs. I mean we we are seeing all these advancements in. In the state of the art of you know uh, new libraries and new models, and we are trying them and always like uh, you know are uh, start to become part of the solutions we offer. Uh, I think it's it's one one thing is the demos and the libraries you see that are like you know super interesting and, and even super fun to watch, uh, but at the same time there are other things that are not kind of in the edge of the state of the art that really still can provide a lot of value. I think um, part of the, the, you know, the, the challenge for companies now is uh, started work, start working with, with AI and not, uh, not always trying to look for the last, uh, you know, uh, the last library or the, or the, you know, the last, uh, you know, new iteration in the state of the art but you know trying to to figure out if there is something already there that can really provide value to what you're doing let's get into your personal biography a little mm -hmm. bit um you studied cs it wasn't mm -hmm. in ai or ml at the time mm -hmm. but at some point you did make the transition at some point you started trial labs yeah. Um, with your colleagues and your co-founders. And yeah. also, um, there's other companies. Like, I'd, I'd met uh, Roberto Uriarte, who's, mm -hmm. uh, I think their office is across the way from you in Montevideo. Mm -hmm. um, maybe go through your personal journey. All right. Um, yeah, so I started my career around uh, 16 years ago. Um, I always loved computers and and I was studying uh, engineering at the time. Um, and my first major job was while while I was studying, uh, and it was in a Uruguayan uh, video game startup. 
which uh, you know, was super fun. I was a game developer and game designer. Um, it was a great experience. I learned a lot uh, there about, you know, mostly about the startup culture, right? It was a, a very progressive firm, super fun team. Um, so, so it was a, a super interesting experience for me. I, I stayed for three and a half years there. Um, but then I moved kind of to the other extreme of the computer science field and started working on a bigger company in the medical devices and uh, industry, right? So uh, two very different approaches to, to engineering. One thing is video games where it, we, we always say that if you code something that was wrong, you know, if you code a bug there, uh, it could lead to kind of a, you know, even a, a, an amusement for players. You know, they discover a bug in their game. But if you do something wrong for, with a medical device, people die. So it was kind of the two extremes. Um, and I learned a lot from, from both experiences. Yeah, that's very yeah, extreme differences. Um, so do you still play games? Do you, are you a gamer? Yes, yeah. I mean, not not as much as as I like to back then when when I uh, when I worked at, at powerful robot games, I sometimes I had to play all day one game, which was amazing, and then you get, you get tired of it, right? Um, and now, yes, I'm still playing a, a little bit with the Nintendo Switch, mostly the classic games, uh, not not many of the new ones, but uh, yeah, I do it from time to time. So on on to your second job, and then at what point did you feel like there could possibly be a market for starting a company and finding customers? Right. So yeah, at my second job, I started meeting with one of now my co-founders, with Raul, and um, yeah, we we saw that you know there was an opportunity in. in in technologies and and one thing that happened was that um, in Uruguay there was not really a market or yeah, a lot of cool opportunities for engineers. You had like the traditional engineering jobs that were not exactly what we were looking for, and then you had a couple of interesting things around. So we wanted to be a company that we wanted we wanted to become a major player in the global market we we wanted to from day one to uh, target the global market because uruguay is very small so so we didn't see things interesting uh, to do in uruguay and we wanted to use the technologies that we saw that were more challenging more fun and and with tremendous opportunity which was mostly ai right um so yeah, we started meeting. We meet Martin, our our other co-founder, through a, a business incubator, uh, and yeah, we started working together. Uh, after a year of meetings, we decided to go ahead and uh, you know quit our jobs and started working full time in the company, uh, which we bootstrapped for for two years, and then we finally were able to get clients and start uh, and we started growing really fast. Yeah, I can't help but ask, but Uruguay mm -hmm. is a small country in South America. You know, mm -hmm. where do you find your clients? Are they there? Mm -hmm. And you know, you must be have a huge impact in that market if that's that, if that's where you find them. 
Right. So yeah, what what we planned was from day one to not to look for clients in Uruguay, right? We wanted to build our team in Uruguay. We have great talent. We had uh, very good connections in the university here. So we we wanted to build a team of you know developers, engineers, and academics were which were you know super efficient and and you know fun to to work with and uh, target them to the U.S. market, right? Uh, we mostly started working with uh, Silicon Valley, and that's that was because we wanted to do AI, right? And, and it was 10 years ago. Uh, so 10 years ago, the market wasn't really ready for AI in, in many, many senses. And Silicon Valley was probably the only place where we found that they wanted to you know, try new things. They wanted to explore the, the AI field. And that's how we were able to get our first experiences with clients there. I mean, when you get started 10 years ago, mm -hmm. I mean, it was a lot harder to get going with AI and ML. I mean, what, mm -hmm. what technologies were you using and what were the libraries that were most important for you? <laughs> yeah. So I remember we used Weka, uh, that's a Java-based library, which uh, back then was, you know, probably the one of the few things that that was really uh, that you were able to use in production. Uh, then you had experimental stuff, uh, but Python, obviously, you know, and and all the the batteries included that you have with Python was a good way to at least have something to start building your your own libraries with AI. There was no TensorFlow. We have to laugh. No. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt, but I have to laugh. The, the batteries included, it just dated you. Because mm -hmm. I remember, like, I, you know, Don and I have been around the Python world for a long time, but I remember that used to be the teaser. That used to be like the yeah. marketing message for the Python community yeah. was batteries included. So I love you use them. Right. So, Please go yeah. on. I just wanted to. Yeah, that, that was, was it specifically Django. Django's kind of tagline. We we used to, yeah for for the first few projects we we were using Django for um, probably you know visualized thing things. Uh, but but yeah, it's I, I guess the what what really moved us to use Python was that we knew that all these libraries. All these batteries included, uh, you know, what's what was going to be what uh, allowed us to build the complex backends that we wanted to build. And and fast forward to now, you hosted mm -hmm. a pretty amazing workshop about um, your experience trying out Swift, or at least at right. Trilabs. Maybe right. share that. Yeah. I think I think that's new uh, knowledge for Brian, even though he keeps up. Right. So. Uh, one of the things that we are doing at Trilabs is uh, kind of we have a, an area that's called frontiers that when where we do some research and development, right? So um, we try things that are still not ready for the market, but maybe not ready even technically for you know trying for, for prototyping things. So uh, one of our engineers, uh, you know, proposed doing this, you know, studying Swift and how. The integration with TensorFlow and and if there is uh, 
a possible future for it uh, for for real world AI applications. Uh, yeah, it was a, a super super amazing experience. And I mean, I would call Swift as the new Objective C, but now you're telling me if I get this correctly, you're looking at integrating it with more of a machine learning type workflow. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's fairly new, and, and they are still working on you know this uh, integration with uh, Swift Swift for TensorFlow. Um, well, here here to blow your mind, Brian is I believe it's a Google project as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the guys uh, working on that project joined us in in the webinar, which was amazing. See, it seems like uh, you have quite a bit of academic influence in how you're working. And then maybe Brian can chime in as well, since Brian was one of the leaders of Deloitte's uh, Innovation Lab, where I imagine there's quite a few uh, academics resident. I mean, for me, coming from startups, there's often a denigration of academic credentials. Just the the stereotype is they're not going to move fast enough for startup speed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like to think that we are kind of uh, in in the middle. You know, we, we sometimes we have conversations with clients that, bef- uh, you know, before talking to us, they uh, went to uh, a university uh, to talk to academics uh, about a research project, and you know they they thought that you know their approach was too academic. Right, so they wanted something in the middle where you have a team of engineers that are able to understand the state of the art, uh, but think about you know the industry and how you can uh, create solutions that are for uh, solutions for real world problems. Right, um, so I like to think that we have kind of uh, a vision where we understand the the academic part and and are able to you know read the white papers and, and kind of uh, even push the state of the art. But we always try to do it in what we call, you know, a, a real world project where you have a scope, a budget, and you have to fit that in and, and really get results for your client. What have you run into, Brian, with this? And have you had to do this kind of cultural translation? Because, for example, we had Rachel Tatman on as a guest talking about some of these models where academics are running several millions of dollars worth of compute time. Yeah, she was talking about the ACML, some of the experimental models uh, in, in that and you know running up quite a bill we have pretty exhaustive models lacking early stopping of course uh well you know i don't have anything against either mindset that you know academia is pushing the needle forward and so is engineering i've certainly seen a big shift lately i don't know if you've seen this ernesto and you, you may be a good person to ask because you guys are hosting models I've been seeing a big shift towards ML ops lately and just operationalizing your AI, you know, mm-hmm. have you, have you ran into that at all? Uh, well, when, when we put things into production, uh, that usually becomes something important, right? Uh, and we are trying to kind of educate our clients with that. Uh, there is uh, kind of this idea of, uh, you know, 
thinking about uh, what we build with AI as a service or, or, or you know, something that you you will have to mind, maintain in in many different ways. Like new, not only maybe retrain or uh, you know update some models, but also there is an infrastructure that is supporting all that, and it has you know a cost that you have to take into account. Um, we are seeing that uh, we are kind of also in, in the first stages of understanding how is the best way to to approach this. We usually, you know, when we prototype, we do everything in our own infrastructure. Then when when we move it to clients, uh, we can see cloud solutions. We can see uh, we can do something that it's in their own infrastructure. Uh, but yeah, it's something that. You know, it's evolving a lot too. And and through working for hire, at what point did you decide that text analysis was worth it in terms of devoting all that effort to get mm-hmm. Monkey Learn launched? Because mm-hmm. um, you you came up all the way from Uruguay to San Francisco for my event, for example, and right. I, I believe uh, Raúl's been. Uh, pretty much resident in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. for, for yeah. long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we, we tried different things, right? Uh, computer vision, for example, was uh, one of the, and still is one of the big uh, you know, uh, areas that Trialabs is working on. Uh, we are working a lot on natural language processing too. With MonkeyLearn, we saw uh, natural language processing. We saw kind of, uh, a niche there where, uh, you know, with text classification, uh, with entity extraction, and we saw a way that you were able to build models without having to uh, go through all the, you know, stages that are super complex of research and, and uh, you know, more understanding in the, in the configuration of these models, but, uh, uh, you know, prioritize this in a way that was more approachable to people. So uh, that's why we we saw that problem with with uh, natural language processing that you know was a, a, a big opportunity for for the product we created. But then you know we, we have been experimenting with with our all you know other things. Brian, you built a very successful text analysis tool for Deloitte. Did you go through all this pain as well of building it? Because you coded that. Yeah, I did originally. You know, I would have loved to have some of the more recent research that has been done mm-hmm. um, in that space back then. But we, 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 we built it basically on SKLearn and Python and, you know, a little bit of NLTK to get some of the ontologies there. And we used to just a traditional machine learning model approach, but I would have loved to have what we have now. We, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much you've gotten into things like Kubeflow and, you know, other. There's just a lot out there right now, uh, especially in the cloud. Um, what does your typical, I mean, what does your environment look like? What are you guys into? As far I know, you said Python, but what are you are you getting into anything um, else around yeah. the ecosystem? Well, most mostly uh, it it depends a lot on the project, and we we do use Python a lot, but we have used R in in things that are more 
maybe where, when we want to understand a problem and generate maybe a report uh, on you know on what we think and on on you know what we uh, discovered uh, with with python we have been using a lot uh, pytorch or tensorflow um tensorflow 2 also um and and yeah it depends a lot on on the on the problem we we want to solve right uh, and it's part of uh, i think one one challenge we we are having now is uh, sometimes clients come to us with uh, this approach that you know maybe you you have to use ai to solve this or you have to use tensorflow for object detection for this and um they they see ai sometimes like a silver bullet you know uh, there is this idea because of all the hype there is with with ai technologies they see that you know it it will solve everything so it's a challenge for us and it's kind of an education process for for us with clients to really narrow down not not in the in which technology we are going to use but what is the real problem we are going to solve and what will be the best way to to really measure that we are solving that problem right uh, and, and I think that's one of the interesting things that that we are seeing in in the industry with AI right now because it's but 10 years ago it was you know uh, the market was not ready and, and not many people knew about AI right now everyone knows about AI and they want to use it but they don't know exactly how so we are having all these conversations uh, to make sure that people understand the power of AI and and what we can do to really give them a, a, a good value and an impact for uh, for using these technologies. Brian, that's teed up for one of your favorite questions about the hype, right? <laughs> yeah, two, two, there's two questions I love to ask on the interview. One is about the hype and mm -hmm. that, you know, is this, how do you deal with it being a practitioner? Is it, how much of it is hype right out there right now and how much of it's real? You know, mm -hmm. does it annoy you? And the other question kind of tailing that is any precautionary tales is about, you know, are you, do you have any fear about what AI will do to the world? And those could be right. the same answer too. Sometimes, I like I, I like the philosophical questions. Um, yeah, um, I think the 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 first part. I, I think uh, I I remember once one client came to us and and said, uh, and this is a quote: "I want some machine learning bull." <laughs> and yeah that was my my reaction they and we you know politely said okay let's try to find a problem to solve uh we we will give you the machine learning but uh, we need to make sure that it's valuable somehow right and uh and it was his petition was because they knew that if they have something with AI in their stack or uh, you know, in their value proposition, they will be acquired by a company and they were acquired by that company after we did that project, right? But uh, it was VS. So um, I think that's, we, we did our homework and we wow. found a problem and we found something that was valuable for them but I know that it's out there. You know, if you have AI, 
then you know you are doing things that are more valuable so there is this hype thank you ernesto and maybe we can conclude with uh letting everybody know how to reach you and any final kind of promotional message you may have all right yeah so um if you if you want to reach me, I'm uh, you, you can look for me at triolabs.com. My email is ernesto at triolabs.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at triolabs. Um, and yeah, on, or I'm in LinkedIn too. And I'm super happy to you know connect with people that want to learn more about AI. Uh, you know, maybe companies that are looking for you know a partner for their their AI journey. Uh, so yeah, if uh, if you are you are open for those conversations, I'll, I'll be happy to.